Here is the latest Higher Summits forecast brought to you by our friends at the Mount Washington Observatory. Weather above treeline in the White Mountains is often wildly different than at our trailheads. Before you hike, check the Higher Summits forecast at mountwashington.org. Weather observers working at the nonprofit Mount Washington Observatory write this elevation-based forecast every morning and afternoon. Search and rescue teams, avalanche experts, and backcountry guides all rely on the Higher Summits forecast to anticipate weather conditions above treeline. You should too. Go to mountwashington.org or text FORECAST to 603-356-2137. And here's your forecast for Friday, November 10th and Saturday, November 11th. Friday in the clouds with snow showers. Additional snow accumulations of a trace to 2 inches with a high in the upper teens. Winds will be west at 60 to 80 mile per hour with gusts up to 90 miles per hour decreasing to 50 to 75 miles per hour. The wind chill uh, rising to 5 below to 15 below. There's a little type in there that says Fissing, uh, F-I-S-I-N-G. Whoops. Uh, Friday night, in the clouds with snow showers. Additional snow accumulations of a trace to one inch with a low around five above. Winds will be pretty uh, elevated again. West shifting northwest at 50 to 70 miles per hour with gusts up to 80 miles per hour. Wind chill falling to 20 below to 30 below. And then Saturday, in the clouds with snow showers, trending towards and in and out of the clouds under partly cloudy skies. Additional snow accumulations of a trace to less than one inch, um, with a high temp rising into the mid-teens. Winds northwest at 50 to 70 miles per hour, with gusts up to 80 miles per hour early, decreasing to 40 to 60 miles per hour late. And the wind chill on Saturday will be 20 to 30 below, rising to between 0 and 10 below. So it's going to be a chilly weekend for the Reckless Full Brewing Hike and the Rescue Me 5K. So dress accordingly. Be safe. from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire. Welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. All right, guys, welcome to episode 129. We got Stosh here. We got Stomp. Yeah. 
Welcome, Scott. Hey, awesome. good to be here. Good to be here. I don't know why you guys have me on this uh, again. This is I have nothing to do with you guys. But I'm, I'm that desperate ah, not to be like stuck ah. in awkward moments with Stomp by myself. So I need somebody. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I told you. Yeah. 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 The uh, Stomp, Stosh, and Mike show. Got a ring to it, don't it? True. True, true. So, Stomp, are we ready for this weekend? We have a big weekend coming up, listeners. So, um, on Saturday, we've got the Rescue Me 5K. So, I've been running. I've been doing my thing. Stomp, I'm ready to go for the the 5K. But then afterwards, we have the Reckless event, right? Do you want to remind everyone all the logistics on that? Yeah, correct. So, we have a team of about 22 runners now. So you're uh, supposed to get your bib at about 8.30. This is for the Rescue Me 5K race, which is this Saturday morning, November 11th. And the bib pickup will be at the One Love Brewery in that area, but they're asking people to park in the Price Chopper parking lot, which is adjacent to the One Love uh, parking lot. So you'll see the movie theater, Price Chopper, and all that stuff. Uh, and again, you'll see uh, Great Tacoma with a pop-up tent with the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue branding on the side. So if everybody wants to uh, check in over there at the tent, I can give you your bib number in advance. And if you hear this before the race starts, you can direct message us on uh Insta if you want, and I'll give you your number. They have so many people running this race that um, they're trying to get those numbers out in advance so that people know where to go, what line to get into to get their bibs. So uh, hit us up. Otherwise, just hit the tent, and I'll give you your number then. Um, so that starts at 10. The race is at 10. Um, and then directly after that, there will be a celebration and a party at One Love, <clears throat> but we will be bolting to Reckless, and uh, a full conditions brewery or, or brew uh, event is happening at Reckless, and that starts at two o'clock. And this is the Ty Gagney uh, collaboration with Reckless. Uh, it's a fundraiser for the New Hampshire Outdoor Council, which is the umbrella agency that uh, provides grant monies to the volunteer search and rescue teams. And uh, it's a wonderful event. So the beer is done; it's ready to go. So everybody's going to be slurping down some full conditions and that again begins at two o'clock for an hour you're going to be hearing some music from me and then from three to five ish mike and i will be uh, recording a live episode this is episode 130 and we will have um, live comedy we have multiple guests we have wayne saunders from the uh warden's podcast warden's watch podcast uh, a retired conservation officer, so he's going to give us the uh, the deep inside baseball on fishing game and everything they do uh, for the state. And uh, then, of course, we have Ty Gagney, the uh, pretty much renowned author around here who writes about uh, search and rescue in the White Mountains. So, um, And, of course, Steve from Reckless will be there talking with Ty about how they made the beer. And I'm rambling, so I'm going to stop. But I think that covers everything, right, for the, the, uh, the day? I think that covers everything. Stomp. I'm just looking yeah. at the course, the, the the race course here. So it looks like sure. it's pretty reasonable. It looks like the starting line somewhere around like One Love and Price Choppers, and then you go out onto 112, right. uh, the kink, and you run down back towards 93 a little ways, and then it's back into um, sort of that parallel road there, which is, I think... Um, looks like Pellard Street or something like that. So uh, uh-huh. you run all the way down, and it doesn't look like there's much elevation change. So it's a little Not bit much. up and then a little bit of down. Correct. 
So yeah, I'm, are you planning on running this thing fast? Just Stomp. Smoke it? The name of the event is a fi- let Rescue Me 5K Race. <laughs> so, yes, I'm, I'm going to run. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win it. <laughs> at the, at the end, there's good. someone to rescue, so you got to run as fast as you can. I'm, I may need to be rescued, Stosh. I may be, yeah. I'm curious about my time. I haven't run a 5K in probably about three years. I think I usually float around like a, a 20 to 21 minute time, but wow. I, I feel like I'm getting a lot slower now. So uh, we'll see. I'll be curious. I'll be happy with 23 minutes. In the spirit of search and rescue, I'm going to go nice and slow and sweep the rear. <laughs> nice. Understandable, understandable. You know, I did, I did a five k once. I think, uh, I think it was a five k uh, in a flash costume uh, for a benefit. So that was that was fun. While hungover, that's funny. Wow. Well, we have my, oh, so my, my daughter's goodness. doing it with her friend, and then her boyfriend's doing it. And uh, he's not a runner, but he's like definitely like he's he's sort of dating into the family of 5k like marathon running type people so he's he's in for a fun day but i think it'll be good times ah we'll see yeah i think um, back to like am i ready for it i'm not really ready for it um i have been running again but i just got over uh, that weird arch issue in my foot so i'm gonna go easy but i'm not worried about time or anything like that but i do have to ask you you have to help me after the race once i cross that finish line I have to leave and go to yeah. Reckless and get ready for the event. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to leave it up to the listeners, the race crew, and you to, to, you know, take care of the tent and everything else. Yeah, that's fine. We'll get pictures and all that fun stuff. But very excited. Excellent. So it's a big weekend for us. But um, on to this episode, which is episode 129. So welcome to episode 129 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week, we are turning our gaze to the west. So we're going to be going to the Berkshires and we're going to be going to the Catskills. Uh, so we welcome our friend uh, Stosh back from Inside the Line podcast. Stosh is the guy for all things hiking related to the Catskills. So he's approaching his 100th episode. So we Wanted to have Woo. him back on to catch up. Congratulations, Stosh. Um, he has some updates to share with us, including uh, he was over in the Whites earlier this year in an ill-fated Pemi loop. So he, <laughs> he got the crappy weather that we've all been dealing with. So we'll talk about that and some trail maintenance and some volunteering. And he's going to compare some of the aspects of the Whites to the Catskills and then continuing our focus on pointing west, I'll have a, a recap of a recent trip out to Mount Greylock, which will include some history and some tips for planning a trip out to the Berkshires. All this plus Stomp hikes the Watcher and Eaglet. What's in Mrs. Stomp's backpack? We're going to snoop into her pack while Not she's rough. out of town. We've got snow predictions for the winter. We've got a story of an elk attacking somebody. We've got survival sticks that you can buy. Are those the next big thing? Mr. Beats tries to do, oh, Mr. Beast tries to do a good thing and it goes terribly wrong. And uh, I'm sure we'll have some other stuff going on here. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started, shall we? Excellent. Yeah, let's get started. So we'll kick it off with a hiking buddy spot and then we'll, we'll pop back in, right? Yeah, you got it. This is Ben Pease from Hiking Buddies. We are a 501c3 nonprofit committed to reducing avoidable tragedies through education, impactful projects, and fostering a community of support. You can find out more at hikingbuddies.org. 
We wanted to say thank you to those who have supported our mission, and most importantly, say thanks to those who speak up, who ask questions, and who are willing to provide guidance and assistance on the trails when needed. You embody what it means to be a hiking buddy. And now, for all my newer hikers out there, here's this episode's Hiking Buddies Quick Tip. Use the seasons as a guide to the geography of your hikes. If you're more of a fair weather hiker, don't try Washington alone in winter. Watch the water levels, especially in spring and after heavy precipitation or snow melt. Stomp. So thank you to the hiking buddies for their their advice here. So mm-hmm. um, two things we want to celebrate. So again, Stasha's 100th episode is coming up and then Stomp, it's your birthday. So which one do we want to talk about first? Oh, birthday. certainly Stosh. No, no, no. Birthday. Birthday, man. The okay. birthdays come first. Mine, mine is not important. <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. I just turned 54. How old are you, Stomp? 54? 54. 54. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. And, uh, Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm feeling good. Um, I had a really nice two days. Um, you know, I have to do a quick shout out to uh, Colby, uh, Bryce, and Dylan, my coworkers at Moosehead. Uh, they set me up with some really nice, like a, a knit hat and a gigantic Yeti bottle. Holy moly! It like it's like three Nalgene's combined. It's beautiful. So thank you guys. And the rehab crew that I work with down in Meredith, they uh, had like a lunch today for me. So I feel. Yeah, I feel nice. It was uh, I, I, I sort of cringe when I get put under the spotlight, but I have to uh, say thanks where it's due. So, moving on. So, Stomp, is that is that Yeti <laughs> bottle going in your like seventy five pound pack? <laughs> yeah, it needs to be a little heavier. Yeah, no thanks. It's yeah. those Yetis, man. They're metal. Holy moly! Yeah, they're big. My kids have those. They mm. have the Yetis and they have the Stanleys, and like that. That's a big thing in the the teenage crew. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Things are heavy, but it keeps it warm and cold. It does. Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah. Stomp. Is any of your coworkers listen to the uh, the podcast? The um, yeah, the the paint crew guys do. It, just so listeners know, I paint a couple days a week for a professional company, and then I do physical therapy three or four days a week uh, outside of uh, that work. So two crews. The rehab staff don't know yet because it's a fairly new position, okay. and the virtual PT that I do, they do know. Yeah. Uh, so it's a mixed bag, but I don't right. go out really promoting it. Well, the reason I say is because I didn't get you anything and I'm not getting you anything. And I feel like they're making me look <laughs> bad. So if they're listening, like stop getting stomp presents for his birthday. Just say happy birthday and move on. <laughs> He's 54. He doesn't need anything. Exactly. That's my, <laughs> that's my thought on it as well. Hey, if you take the tent down Saturday, I'll be happy. Okay. Uh, that'll be good enough. <laughs> Buy him a few beers at Reckless. What, what the heck, man? Yeah, the That's true. That's true. I will do that. Yeah. And then, uh, Stosh, so you've hit, uh, so you've been hosting a podcast inside the line. So we've all, we knew each other before you did the podcast through social media. And, you know, I think you, you started pretty close to when we did a little, you know, a little bit behind and we talked back and forth around starting up a podcast, but you've hit a hundred episodes. So you've just been plugging away kind of like we are every week, just getting something out for the most part. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the, the milestone? Yeah. Well, um, you know, inside the line, the Catskill mountains podcast, I, was influenced by you guys. And uh, it was just something that I decided to do after being like a volunteer 
of the 3500 club and being the second vice president of the 3500 club, I thought, how can I reach out to, to more people? You know, and I was just like, there's not a podcast about the Catskills hiking area. It's, it's more about, you know, just the general Catskills in, in, in one. So I was just like, Oh, I'll do a hiking podcast. Why not? And here I am a hundred episodes in, which is well close to it. I'm, I'm like 98 right now. So, mm-hmm. um, it's just, it's, it's absolutely insane. You know, I'm, I'm nowhere near as, as popular as you guys, but, um, it's, it's been a wild ride, just having a good time talking about hiking, talking about every aspects where you can help the mountains, uh, in, in your own way and in any other way, volunteering and stuff like that. It's, a, it's been fun. It's been, a, it's been a wild ride. Yeah. And I actually look at like doing this for me, it's been more about just sort of get to know people highlighting the, the overall hiking community. Like if people listen, that's great, but it's, it's, that's not the first thing to, uh, to worry about. And I think that just giving people the legacy, like I know I've, I've talked to people and they're like, Oh, you know, I want to look, I want to get a good hiking podcast. I always tell people like your show, our show, check it out. And I think that for the most part, uh, you know, there's there's never going to be huge audiences, but it's just getting the the message out there around education, history, and ideas on where to go. That's that's what it's all about. So, and uh, with a hundred episodes, you built like a you know the knowledge base for the Catskills. Yeah, and it's sure. it's been a it's been a great time of just like you said, knowing people, getting to know people, interviewing people that I've I've never met before, and then being comfortable talking about you know what their stuff is what their life is, what they've done and, and stuff like that. It's just, it's been a great ride and, you know, it, it's, t- I don't, I don't know how we freaking do it being like regular people and regular jobs and how we get to do the script, you know, do, you know, planning, doing this and that it's, I gotta admit, it's tough. Is it tough for you guys as well? It's a lot of work. Like I couldn't do like you. So you do it all by yourself. Like I couldn't do it without Stomp. I mean, I feel like Stomp. We've sort of fell into a pretty good partnership where we each have our roles, and it it just yeah. it's, it just kind of works. Like we can push out a show very quickly, uh, but it wasn't easy in the beginning. Oh, it's a lot of work. Preparation, looking up stories, coming up with ideas, guests. I mean, gee whiz. Yeah, but yeah, we're definitely in a rhythm now, which is nice. And I think we split it. Uh, what eighty twenty, Mike? <laughs> I would say that's about right. Uh, who's sorry, got the eighty? So. Who's got the twenty? Uh, I don't know. Not I think stops where we get a heavier lift than I do, but it's, uh, <laughs> we're figuring it out. Figuring it out. So, well, that, that that's uh, so what I'm. That's one thing I'm jealous about is uh, you know your charisma, the way you guys handle things. Your uh, the way you can handle one episode by yourself, like I cannot do an episode by myself at all. That's just absolutely ridiculous talking to yourself and it's really tough. And I've done probably like three or four and my God, is that absolutely just insane to, to hear yourself and try to talk with yourself. True. When did we do that? I mean, we've, we've done like a Mrs. Mrs. Stomp, but I don't think it, we've done a solo solo, have we? I think you did one stomp. I can't remember. Maybe one. Yeah. Oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was fairly brief, though. Yeah, yeah that's weird, man. That's like, it's so weird. You're like some creepy dude in a basement talking to yourself. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> now, Stosh, what are you doing for your 100th episode? So, um, what I think is, is my, my 100th episode is going to be a um, man named uh, Danny Davis, and he does, like, geology and and 
geomorphology, I believe it's called, with, with all the, the water flow and the Catskills and stuff like that. I think, unless I'm going to use this as my, my 100th episode, uh, it's going to be about that. And, you know, the, the 100th episode would be a live broadcast from Camp Catskill in Tannersville, New York. And it's a really cool spot. And, you know, the funny thing is, is I was like not thinking anything about it. I was like, well, yeah, whatever. It's 100 episodes. You know, I'm not that big. I really don't care. And one of my sponsors came to me and was just like, let's throw it at my place. And I was like, not, no, I really don't want to, man. I don't want to do all this planning and crap. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just crazy. He That's threw funny. it at me and I was just like, yeah, now I'm into this, all this planning and crap. Well, yeah. I think events like this are important though. They, they can boost your, your stature and exposure. I, I think they're important if you're really serious about continuing on with the uh, podcast. Yeah, definitely can, can, thinking about continuing on, of course. And, uh, yeah, you know, it helps. And it's open to the public uh, November 19th, uh, 3 p.m. If anybody from the Whites wants to make a six hour trip down to the Catskills <laughs> to see my horrible live performance of a podcast, go right ahead. By all means, tell me you're from New Hampshire and I'll have you on the mic with without any doubt and just be like, yeah, talk about why you came here. <laughs> Oh, that's yeah, cool. We'll, we'll plug the uh, we'll plug the details on the show notes as well, and we're gonna cool. we're gonna do a whole segment with you later on. So, um, we've got a couple of miscellaneous stories that we wanted to run through here. So, Stosh, just jump in whenever you want. Um, so, I think we've got three or four of these. So, one is we've got a um, when animals attack. So, we've got a story here about a a fatal elk attack. So this is interesting. Like a lot of times it's usually like bears or bison or something crazy, but this is a case of a woman who died eight days after being hospitalized as the result of an apparent elk attack on her property in, uh, this is in Arizona, Arizona, Kingman, Arizona. Yeah. So it, the attack occurred on October 26th while the woman's husband was in Kingman. I guess they they live on like a community in a community area. According to the husband, when he returned around six p.m., he found his wife on the ground in the backyard with injuries consistent with being trampled by an elk. He also observed a bucket of spilled corn nearby, and there was no witnesses to the event. So the husband called nine one one. The wife was transported to Kingman Regional Medical Center and then to Sunrise Hospital in Las Vegas. And she was in a medically induced coma due to the extent of her injuries. So um, apparently Arizona Game and Fish Department did not learn about the attack until the next day when they found out from local residents. And um, I guess they were warning people not to approach or feed elk. They spoke with the victim's husband and other residents. And uh, when they were at the victim's residence, they observed multiple elk tracks. So um, I think that um, this is the first fatal elk attack in Arizona and the fishing game is urging people to uh, make sure that they do not feed wildlife or get, you know, allow wildlife to get food sources from items such as garbage or pet food. So it sounds like this, uh, this is a situation where somebody was feeding this elk and it went terribly wrong. So who knew? All right. That's a shame. Yeah, you feed the animals and you put them in jeopardy. Yeah. yeah. So King, Kingman is, is right between Havasupi and Phoenix. Uh, well, Las Vegas and Phoenix, sorry. Um, and it's like the stop for the Havasupi area where they go to do that amazing 
awesome hike in the Havasupi region. So okay, so it's like in eastern Arizona. Yep. Yeah, and it's it's actually they got a couple of hotels and motels and stuff that people stay overnight there for the Havasupi Falls area. Okay. Um, but it's a flat area. There's barely barely any mountains around, so I can see why the wildlife was crazy. But you know, you kind of think you'd be knowledgeable in that area to not feed the massive elk. I just wonder if they assume like, so I see deer every morning on my run. Like I would never feed them, but I also, I'm not scared of them, but I do like, there's a six pointer that's running around right now that like, if that thing went after you, like you could, it would absolutely impale you and kill you. Yeah. So definitely um, tragic stuff. Have you done that hike into Havasu or whatever that is or Havasu? I, you know, to be honest, I have gotten a permit but the timing wasn't correct. It was like in like March and I couldn't do it in March, but I was just like, you know, I'm going to hold on to this and I just couldn't do it. So I had to sell it, I'm sell it, give it away online. Um, but I am definitely waiting on, I think it's like February 1st when you comply for that. And I am definitely looking forward to doing that. And, and that's a definitely bucket list item. Yeah. And for the listeners, if you don't know what we're talking about, it's this, um, it's a part. It's I guess it's connected to the Grand Canyon. It's this incredible blue waterfall. You've, I'm sure most people have seen pictures of it before, and it's like this supposed to be an amazing hike, and you camp out right under the waterfall. Yeah, it's like a 13 mile hike in to the waterfalls, and then another hot mile hike into where you camp, and then you could also do another. I think it's a round trip of six miles into the Colorado River to meet where the Havasupi, the conjunction of the Havasupi meets the Colorado river where it's like crystal clear blue water. And then it meets absolute disgusting brown water. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm pretty sure one of my friends went and uh, they, they, there is an option to take uh, pack animals in. I think you can, you can go on a donkey if you want. Yeah. It's uh they, they'll haul your stuff in, but you have to hike in of course. Oh, you have to hike in. So you can't ride a donkey in. Yeah. No, no, no. Okay. That's uh it's, it's, pretty like a lot of people underestimate the hike of course it's like 1300 feet down into the flat area and then of course you got to hike like eight nine miles to the other area so people underestimate plus it's like sand and loose gravel it's horrible yeah yeah my buddy did it he's a, so this kid's a professional bodybuilder uh matt Pooley. matter of fact i'll i'll uh, i'll get a cent send the section to him but he's a professional bodybuilder and he was going with his girlfriend at the time He's not a hiker at all, but she's like way into it. So she got the permit. He was taking the bags, the backpacks out of the, out of the trunk of the car and he blew his knee out. He like twisted his knee and wow. she was obviously, she's like, I want to go. And he decided to just suck it up and go, but he, he hiked in and out with a blown knee. Um, and he's not a, he's a big dude. So it was a rough, rough trip for him. Yeah. Crazy, crazy, beautiful area though. Absolutely yeah. stunning. Yeah, it is. But all right. Well, don't feed the elk and uh, we'll Stosh, keep us updated when you get a permit for that place. Hell yeah. All right, Stomp. This next one is on you. So this is an update on how the El Nino effect uh, will impact snowfall over North America. So do you want to recap this? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fairly technical. There's, um, there's a link in this article that we'll post that leads you to a uh, broader definition of what El Nino is. But the forecasters are giving this season a high chance that this will be a strong event uh, based upon 
climate model predictions and um, current conditions. And there are multiple things that they look at, temperature, uh, precipitation, and uh, air patterns and whatnot. But um, so long story short, we're looking at potentially a really great winter uh, for outdoor activities in the snow. Um, so it's worth checking out. Um, they ex- it says here, forecasters expect expect El Nino will continue through the spring with a 75 to 85% chance it will become a strong event. So there you go. It's going to be a good winter, people. Fingers crossed. All right. Well, we'll include this in the in the show notes here. And if it's a bad winter stomp, then I'm, I'm coming for you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully it's not like last winter where it was just cold and ice the whole time and, and more, more of snow. <laughs> Yeah, until the resurrection at the end there. It's like, it did. It resurrected completely at the end for another month. It was the weirdest winter. Yeah, it was like crappy in December and then in January, but then February rolled around and then later on into, it was like six weeks of like real winter, but I I don't think it was really that good. Like you only had like two or three weekends of snowmobiling that was worthwhile, right? Yes, but they were the best conditions you could ever hope for at the end of the season before it became just slush. It was absolutely amazing. But the lead up, you know, December, January, it was just miserable. So, All right. Um, so next story here, Stomp, I have is sections of the iconic, is it McAfee or McAfee knob? I think it's McAfee knob which is part of the Appalachian Trail in Virginia. So that's sort of the iconic outcropping where people take their pictures and there's a big vista that you can look out on. So um, I saw a news article today that the the section of the iconic McAfee Knob Vista has been protected. So I think some organization was able to buy the um, the land that you look out into when you stand on the the overhang on the knob and um, it's been protected and secured for uh, for the future, so that 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 view will never get ruined by like um, windmills or any other sort of construction or, or any any development. Oh, interesting! So the actual view from that point. To the Correct. Horizon. Yeah. So I'll include wow. the link in the show notes. But wow. like, there was a concern that you know that's that amazing. there's a particular area that wasn't protected so now they've they purchased it and and been able to protect it i think the atc has has bought it that's great yeah fantastic mm-hmm. i mean you look uh when you're on uh mcafee or mcafee or mcafee knob when you're looking west you see that awesome ridgeline the appalachian mountains so yeah. i wonder mm-hmm. if that is uh protected as well because that would be a great spot for wind turbines so on the article, it shows like it's the it's the vista that's directly, um, it's the so it's the mountain chain that is like directly uh, closest to McAfee Knob. Um, it's nice. it's like two sections of that. So I think farther out, I think that that's yeah, I think that's part of the Appalachian Trail, but I don't know if uh, if that's protected or not. Hey, whatever. It's a beautiful spot. I got a bit. It is. I want to get there someday. I haven't been there, but um, but good news. And last thing, Stomp, we had a correction. Uh, listener Judy had sent a note in. Do you want to you want to break this one down, Stomp? Yeah. So last week we talked about stick season, the or the week before. Uh, this new folk pop singer um, is hitting it big and going 
viral, so to speak. And we got a message here saying that if dad, uh, if Mike wants to be a cool dad, then he has to pronounce the singer's name correctly. So I think we blew it and said it's Kahan. Yeah. But it's actually Khan. Yeah, Noah Khan. <clears throat> so Khan. Yeah. Duly noted, Judy. Duly noted. Duly noted. And yeah. Judy, I think like, so if you're listening, <laughs> I have a plan to ensure that I will continue to be the cool dad, and that is to get my kids tickets to Noah Khan's concert at Fenway Park. So I'm working on that. So, Wow. Cool. That's what kind of music is that? It's, it's like singer-songwriter, like folk music. Nice. So he's from Vermont. So it's it's sort of a unique style. It's got a... I don't know. It's 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 singer songwriter. I would say Mo- modern singer singer songwriter. Robin, excellent. Yeah, yeah that's accurate. Are you ready for Slasher's ear review? Yeah. All right. Stop. So moving on to some gear topics here. Our friend Al sent me over a a link to a a product that I wanted to get you guys your perspective on. So this is called a. Oh boy. Sorry, Zylo's killing me here. You guys got to see this. Oh my I god. Just adjusted the the camera so you can see it. Jesus, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> He's murdering me. I might bleed out any minute now. Okay. Look at Mike's face. Mike's face is just disgusted. I would just, I would pick that thing up and toss it across the room. Oh, damn it. He's getting rowdy. Yeah. yeah he Do you want to die, little guy? Oh, okay. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> I just had to show you my mi- misery. All right, Zylo, we're doing a show here. Beat it. Oh. Uh, so anyway, we're doing a gear the, uh, a gear summary. I'm totally thrown off at this point right now, Stomp. You, you <laughs> got me up again. So <laughs> the Tactus Staff Survival Hiking Stick. So Stomp, this is a, it's a three to four pound stick and it's got 15 uses. It's a hiking stick. So huh. it's a big metal looking pole thing. And it's got 4.8 out of five stars on some review site, according to the company here. And it's it's got a reputation as an all-in-one, ultra-portable walking stick that also serves as self-defense and as a survival kit. So I'm going to... Interesting. It's, it's nice. got at least four sharp objects. It's got four knife attachments to it. So you can definitely like do some damage here. <laughs> no it, kidding. I'm going to run down the list here. So it's got a glass breaker pointed hammer, so you can whack something with that. It's got a thread protective cover. It's got a whistle. It's got a okay, spearhead, so you can kill somebody with that. It's got a harpoon, yeah. so you can like kill an Fish. animal with that. It's got a, a flat screwdriver, a star screwdriver, a flintstone fire starter, a rubber seal, a knife, a bottle cap opener, a can opener, a saw knife, a magnetic compass, and a storage bag. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. So for your average recreational hiker, how much of this would be handy? Or All just of it. overkill? All you of it. You think so? Yeah, you need everything. All of it? Yeah, what you need you going, a harpoon. You going to combat in Iraq or something like that? You need a harpoon. <laughs> if you're going to hike Franconia Ridge, you got to bring a harpoon. <laughs> it's just so you can swing from uh, one spire to the next, I guess, right? Yes. 
<laughs> I mean, I was, I was like four or five pounds. My God, I'm, I wonder what this thing feels like. Cause you know, your, your regular pole is, is not, it's not that heavy, but four to five pounds when you're hiking with it. I wonder if it's, it's gotta be heavy as heck. Hiking it's gotta it. be, it has to be. Um, so if you've got a picture of it here, so it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, it's eight sections that all screw together. But then it has like a pouch that has the four sharp objects. And then I'm assuming there's a fire starter. Yeah, there's a fire starter there and then a compass. So I may buy this thing just to see like what, what the deal is. But if you're a listener um, and you're going to go on like a, a long hike, don't bring this thing unless <laughs> yeah. you've tested it out. But it's just ridiculous. Hey, check this out. Yeah. Down a little lower, it says... Uh, transforms you into a hiking machine. <laughs> Redu- reduces joint pain and fatigue. Quote, I can't believe how much easier my hugs have become since using the Tacti Staff. My joint pain and fatigue have significantly reduced, and I can now enjoy longer hikes without discomfort. Doesn't list anybody's name or anything like that, so I, that's interesting. Yeah. But, hey, and, I want to be a hiking machine. There's a video of like somebody that's using it like a ninja stick and then yes. breaking bricks with it. So, yeah, so I if saw I see, that. It was crazy. Yeah. So if I see somebody with one of these things, I'm running the other way. That video that you're talking about, it looks yeah. like a North Korean prison guard. Like <laughs> It does. <laughs> it does. This is, this is out, out west and stuff like that. Stuff. This is just beyond... What we can handle here in America, like this is just—it looks cool though. It's I aluminum mean, too, right? Yeah, I may buy this. I, I gonna, I, you gotta. I'm just gonna buy. Can I expense this stuff? I, I, I feel yes. like I can. Like, <laughs> this is gonna be a tax write-off. I'm gonna buy this. Well, what, well it looks the like question. there's a fire starter in there too, as well. So there is. I mean, so what's that's, the cost? It's a hundred bucks. Oh yeah, that's not too bad. I you mean, know what that's the funny like, thing is though. Um, <laughs> People spend like sixty bucks on on just hiking poles, like uh, the the expensive hiking poles. So why not That's spend a hundred dollars on one something that could be eighteen different devices in one? That's that's correct. But yep. you know what the interesting thing is is that Al sent this to me, and he was like, "I think that this is a scam." And I actually looked to sort of see what the deal is to buy it, and I couldn't really figure out from this link how to purchase it. But I did go on Amazon. And I typed the name of it in, and, and the, like a different one came up, but it looks like the same feature. So I don't know. I, I'm going to poke around, and uh, maybe I'll buy this just for research purposes. So, um, all right. Yes, so anyway, the Tactus Staff Survival Hiking Stick. Check it out. Stop. What else do we got for gear here? You put a couple of other things in here. Yeah, I, I think it's important to note this uh, option for people. Uh, we've provided three links for you to check out three variations on your classic shoulder pack, which you know most of them just hook on to shoulder pocket. Shoulder so pocket. You're talking about yeah. yeah, where you can put a phone or like your wallet or whatever. Correct. In. Correct. Yep. Got so it. there are a bunch out there. There are three or four that we've listed here that you can uh, explore, but I highly recommend them. I have one that is not one of these three, but um, it works fantastic. You can. Put a hand warmer in there just in case. Double it up with your phone and you're good to go. Uh, anything important that you need to reach for quickly, it's right there on your shoulder and it's easy to reach. So, Stomp, do you want to read out the um, the brands for the, the listeners who can't look at the, the um, Google sheet that we're looking at? Sure. <laughs> First one would be Gossamer Gear. 
Yeah, the reason I hesitate to do that is because there are literally a million options when you search for them, but we've listed three. Uh, Gossamer Gear is the first. Uh, The second would be X-Pack. And then the third, which honestly, this one sort of caught my eye, just the the look of it themselves, uh, Mountain Laurel. So those three you can check out. I've got one more suggestion stone okay. to add to it is the uh, the Hyperlite Mountain Gear. So they they sell a Dyneema um, version of it that I use, and it's it's good. It fits your phone. It's got like a webbing in the front. It's not cheap. It's like fifty dollars, but it's waterproof. So definitely worth checking out. Hey, what's that sound? It must be time for the pop culture segment with Mike and Stump. So moving on to pop culture talk. Uh, I thought this one was interesting, Stomp. I pulled an article. There was a rave party, like an EDM party in, I think, Hong Kong. Right. <laughs> and what this was, it was, a, it was a convention for crypto bros. So all these people that are into those non-fungible tokens. So these things are like, you can like make a drawing put it on a blockchain or something and then bid on it. So this was a big thing in like right around early COVID people were bidding on these stupid pictures for like hundreds of thousands of dollars. So these people are still into, they still think that this MFT non-fungible tokens is going to be a thing. Like everyone's told them it's never going to be a thing, but they still don't believe it. So they got, got together, did a rave and a party and they have like stupid money to burn. And the people that organized the party cheaped out on the lights and they got these kind of lights that are um, UV. They're ultra, yeah, UV lights. <laughs> so oh boy. the next day after the party, all these people were like reporting that they were in so much pain that their skin was burning. And a lot of these people had this thing that you get when, you know, when, when you go hiking in the winter and you don't wear eye protection and you're above tree line, you can get your eyeballs can actually get sunburned. That's called snow blindness. These people literally got the same exact thing. It's, it's called Ape Fest Hong Kong. It's a three-day event that was for these NFT true believers and yeah, the lighting system they used was UV and it burnt all their eyeballs, which I feel like this is the group of people that should get their eyeballs burnt. Shame drop in one, two, yes. three. But could you believe that? I've never, I could have never imagined that that's a thing. Yeah, don't worry, uh, people. We won't be having those lights at the Reckless Show on Saturday. We'll just have regular. I was going to say, Stomp, you don't have that stuff yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, Honestly, if like you want people to focus on the music, it's actually not a bad idea. Just Shame. make people blind, Shame. and all they have is hearing Shame. left. That's that's not a bad idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting, but it ties into hiking a little bit because it's a reminder. Make sure that you're bringing when you do your winter hiking. Make sure that you have um, goggles that repel ultraviolet light and sunglasses as well because and typically like I like to bring if I know I'm going to be extended above tree line especially 
in bad conditions. I'll bring like a backup pair of goggles too, just in case, because they do freeze over. I have a question for you guys. How much of a risk is snow blindness in the Northeast compared to, say, Nepal? I mean, is this something that is a legitimate legitimate concern or uh, not so much? I don't know. I think it's a legitimate concern, Snop. I think if you are on a bluebird day and the sun's reflecting off of the snow, I don't think elevation makes a difference when it comes to this. I think it's it's only about the reflection. Uh, maybe like those higher elevations, like the because the ozone is thinner or something like that. Maybe the, the 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 rays can penetrate more easily. But I still think you're in danger of, of snow blindness in the whites. Yeah, this this is an interesting question. Something we should look into. Yeah, well, I also think that the people going out in Nepal and stuff like that have much more knowledge than like the inexperienced and and even the experienced do out here in the northeast and sometimes in the west and stuff. They just want to bag those peaks and they really don't care about like snow blindness and stuff like that. Where over in Nepal and stuff like that, you're exposed anywhere above. I don't know, like nine, like eighteen thousand feet, basically. Uh, base camp is what twenty two thousand feet. Isn't that what it is? Yeah, yeah, it's something. Yeah, you're at least twenty thousand feet. Yeah, so it's 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 all about knowledge and stuff like that. And then people, you know, the Sherpas will probably help you out with that stuff. And you should be knowledgeable to go to base camp uh, with Mount Everest and in Nepal anywhere to be have basically protection for your eyes uh, for snow blindness. Yeah, and I'm just reading here as you're talking too, and they say usually the symptoms will appear like six to eight hours after UV exposure. So I guess maybe you got a little bit of time. So that's the dangerous part is that you think like, oh, I'm okay. And then next thing you know, you know, you you get down and then you, you experience the symptoms. So I don't think it's worth it to mess with your eyes. I would say always make sure you have sunglasses and um, your goggles with you in the winter. All right. So uh, the next thing we have here, Stomp, is you pulled this article about Mr. Beast. So can you explain who Mr. Beast is? He is probably the biggest YouTuber at the moment, one of the most popular. He does a bunch of uh, interesting challenges, and uh, currently, I think he's number one in the world. Um, I could be wrong about that. Next, next to us, perhaps, or Kill Tony, but uh, he's definitely <laughs> he's definitely a number one in my book, I suppose. But uh, I think he's facing a little bit of heat and criticism for. Uh, a really cool effort to bring water to Kenyan communities. Certain corners of the world didn't appreciate it, and uh, he's getting some heat for it. So it's sort of an interesting pop cultural moment where somebody tries to do good and gets uh, slammed for it. Yeah, I guess like the, you know, there's some activists that are upset because, um, you know, rich person coming in to a poor area and solving the problem for them. Mm. And, you know, there's some people that have been working on the ground for advocacy for years and years, and then this guy swoops in and solves a problem right away. Yeah. They're also sort of saying that they're upset that this highlights the failures of the Kenyan government uh, maintaining a stereotype that Africa is dependent on handouts and philanthropic intervention. So I thought it was an interesting story, Stomp, because we often hear 
about fundraisers related to, you know, hiking activity where people will specifically be focused on water scarcity issues in Africa. And, you know, I think it takes a village and however, if, if, if you're, if you have water scarcity, I would assume that the people on the ground probably don't really care who gets credit or who's involved in solving the problem as long as the, sol- the problem gets solved. Well, what happens is you're, you're exposing probably a de- degree of corruption. I mean, if, if money's going into certain agencies and they're not getting it done, then yeah, you're stepping on people's toes. But good for him. I think it's fantastic. Great. All right. And then continuing on to pop culture. So what are we watching right now? So Stosh, you got anything you're watching? Me and, me and, me and Stomp are sort of at the end of our limits here. <laughs> you know, I I usually don't, I don't know how you guys have time to watch things because, you know, I I have to wake up at like four o'clock in the morning and get stuff, but we watch very seldomly and stuff like that. So we watched, started watching The Magicians. Uh, fantastic show so far we were only like four episodes in and i'm just you know it's it's building it's building it's building of course and they're showing their their skills and talents and stuff like that and i gotta admit it's 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 fantastic to to see this this type of stuff because we don't we don't watch tv much often we can't really we don't have the time yeah and you know it's funny you bring this up because this is a fantastic show and i've watched the first season so not only is this a fantastic show this is a fantastic book series so this is a book series about in fact the books are probably a little bit better than the at least season one but essentially what this is is this this show the way i would describe this is that this is hogwarts harry potter for adults or like sort of an edgy (laughs) version of hogwarts for the you know the, the students to come into this magical school you know they don't realize they have magical abilities until they get to be older and they come into the school and then it's it's sort of all about them learning to sort of deal with their magical abilities and uh, navigating the relationships and the 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 sort of rituals of the school and behind a backdrop of sort of like this this scary monster beast that um that's could pop up at any time and kill people. And there's a, there's like a Narnia twist to it as well that you probably haven't gotten to yet, but it's, it's, it's a fantastic show. So I highly recommend it. What network? Yeah. Uh, Netflix. Okay. Yeah. It's on Netflix. I think originally it was a, um, uh, I can't remember sci-fi channel, I think. Yes. Sci-fi. It was sci-fi channel. So, uh, but yeah, the magician. So I'll link this in the show notes if people want to check it out. But it's definitely, I think it's like three or four seasons now, so it's worth, um, it's worth checking out. Yeah, thanks, man. Excellent. So, all right, moving on here. Stop to stickers. Stickers. Get your slasher stickers at Ski Fanatics in their new building off of Exit Twenty Eight in Campton, New Hampshire. It's right next to. The Campton Post Office. Yay! Um, you can also get them at uh, Spinner's Pizza Parlor in Andover, Massachusetts, off of Dascom Road. And we will have stickers this weekend at the Reckless Show. Do you have a sweat problem? Sweat can be extremely uncomfortable on the trails. Plus, sweat is a serious risk factor. 
As your clothes get wet, your core temperature can dramatically fluctuate. Oh my God, Zylo's going nuts tonight, guys. I don't know what the deal is. <laughs> so uh, he's scratching feverishly at the, uh, the freezer in the back here. Okay. As your clothes get wet, pardon me, your core temperature can dramatically fluctuate. This can result in hypothermia, heat exhaustion, and dehydration. We've got good news at Slasher for you. There's a piece of gear that solves the sweat problem. Vaucluse's Ultralight Ventilation Backpack Frame. The frame is a backpack accessory that easily installs in your favorite pack, size 15 liters to 65 liters, and creates a ventilating airflow gap between you and your pack. It's also ultralight, weighing less than a pair of socks at just over three ounces. Whether you're hiking in hot or cold temps, the ultralight ventilation backpack frame is a real game changer when it comes to airflow and ventilation. So visit vaucluseGear.com today and order an ultralight ventilation frame. Use promo code SLASHER, S-L-A-S-R, to enjoy a $5 discount. Plus, let them know that Mike and Stomp sent you. Stomp, I did a little experiment related to Valcluse on my hike this weekend. I um, started the hike in probably 45 degree weather. I was wearing a, a wicking t-shirt, a wicking long sleeve shirt, and then a fleece pullover. And I went, I was going fast. So I did a mile and three quarters I was going at a three mile an hour pace and I was like, I want to see how much, how long I can go and how fast I can go before I generate some sweat on my back. And I went, like I said, about a mile and three quarters. I was going at a three mile an hour pace and I did start feeling a little bit of sweat on my back. But like, so I took it off and you can see this here. I got, I got a little bit of sweat on the Vaucluse in the middle wow. and I'll post this picture for people to check it out. Impressive. But I took, so I took my fleece off because I was already overheating and the wicking shirt that I had on and the wicking long sleeve shirt were pretty dry. So I took the, the fleece off, started hiking again. And then with the, with the separation between the backpack and the Vaucluse, like I was pretty much dry by the time I got up another mile or so. And I was going two and a half, three miles an hour, for the first three miles. So I was kind of stress testing it a little bit to see how it worked. And it, it did a pretty good job. I'm, I was impressed. Yeah. That, yeah. that picture is amazing. You should uh, yeah. definitely share that online. Yeah. I'm, I'm, go I'm going to for sure. Cause it was like, I started sweating um, probably about a mile and a quarter. So I went another half mile and built up a little bit more sweat, but the sweat is really only, on the touch points of yeah. my fleece jacket there so or my fleece pullover so it wasn't bad at all and it was only in the middle part where it, the most contact is yeah that's awesome yeah, that's really impressive yeah yeah so i've been really playing with it a lot lately i like it a lot yeah Matter of fact i got some hikers that came by and one of the ladies asked me about it and i was like oh yeah it's called Vaucluse. check it out so oh. she liked it yeah. nice Excellent. All right, Stomp. This is the part of the show where we talk about what beer we are drinking. Oh, so, yeah. uh, Stosh, you got something going on. What are you drinking? Me? Yeah. Uh, I have Awestruck. Uh, it's base, basically local, uh, Sydney and New York, and it's a hard cider. Um, 
very, 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 very smooth, very fantastic, not very carbonated. Uh, alcohol content is only 5.5, so it's not as your local insane IPAs that you guys drink over there in New Hampshire. But it's uh, smooth as heck. I, I usually drink this awestruck or I drink hard liquor and stuff like that, so good stuff. <laughs> smooth as heck. Oh. Yep. Smooth as heck. What are you drinking, Stomp? <laughs> well, in commemoration of your Greylock hike, I got a Greylock Imperial New England IPA. So it's the Imperial Greater Good Imperial Brewing Company. And uh, this is a 12% ass kicker, um, which is amazing. Have you, you guys have had one of these, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, those things are... Yeah. They're good, but they're oh, they're stiff. Yeah, they certainly Powerful. are. So it's named for the largest mountain in Massachusetts, Greylock. Um, it's the largest IPA in their portfolio, and it's really tasty. And I'm already feeling the effects of this, but that's okay. It's my birthday, <laughs> <laughs> and it Happy makes birthday. the podcast much more interesting. <laughs> yeah, me slurring my words. <laughs> yes, yeah. Been there, done right. that. Oh, have you? And I am drinking a uh, from Treehouse Brewing. I still have my Treehouse Supply. I'm drinking a 35, which is an IPA, 7.8% alcohol. So uh, this this one's kicking my ass. Oh, is it really? Is, man, I feel so bad, man. I I, I <sighs> went out on this one. Oh, my God. So if I had Shame. two of these, I would be, I'd be drunk out of my mind, I think. And that's that's a good thing because I think the last time was uh, the sober October that we Correct. had to deal with this. Stomp didn't didn't participate in that, but I think you did. No, we both did sober October. I think the last two years. Yeah. Oh, so. shame. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Now this is the part of the show where we talk about recent hikes. So, um, Stomp, why don't you go for or or do you do you want to save this for the segment? Oh no! Well, the uh, the the Mrs. Stomp hike is separate from the Watcher and the Eaglet. I can talk about it briefly, but uh, I definitely want to get okay. to yours experience. Um, yes, I hiked up um, the Watcher and over to Eagle Cliff with my cousin last weekend, and um, you know I've been exposing my cousin to uh, progressively harder and more difficult, uh, but modest distance hikes and challenges over the last month or so. Um, and he's, he's got the bug big time. We did the old man, uh, recently we did bald peak over in Thornton and the watch is a, is very, very short. It's like what, maybe four miles at the most. Uh, it's super steep and, um, you know, it, off of the green leaf trail, you have to, um, find a small little cairn that marks the start, which this time around was gone. We ascended up to the eaglet, which is cool there were three or four climbers that were actually climbing the eaglet at the time. So that was really neat, especially following on the stories that Christina Fulchik and Rusty Talbot told us about the eaglet. We got to see a lot of those routes that they talked about and um, imagine doing it and uh, whatever else. But uh, I, I do have to say the eaglet, I, I have been there several times and it is a super highway. Now there are switchbacks in the gravel talus field, I mean, it's so much easier now in many ways. When we got to um, the section where there is a gully that splits left or right, uh, the left would take you up to a fairly uh, sharp 15-foot uh, climb that's literally 
I don't know. It's very steep. It's probably the hardest part of that hike on the left gully. It's just below the watcher itself, a.k.a. the old woman of the mountains. But we opted to go to the right. And again, the right was just very, very much easier than I had recalled it being. Uh, It's just such a popular place now. From the summit of the watcher, we went over to uh, Eagle Cliff. And Mike, unlike you, I think you guys went down the backside and found that... um, that old camp with the lounge chair and the tarp and this we and did, that. Yep. Okay, so yep. my cousin and I actually opted to go um, off of that trail fairly quickly to the to the south. There's a small little path that takes you into another uh, sort of open, exposed area of cliff. And um, now, was this where you were? Did you check out to see if that new slide had expanded a little bit? Uh, you know, honestly, it's nowhere near it. Um, Okay. Yeah, I mean, we, we looked at it from the, the parking lot, but it's more northwest from where the uh, ascent is to the Eaglet and the Watcher. So, I don't know. that It looks about the same to me, honestly. Okay. Uh, but it's a nice alternative. Uh, coming down, you know, you can either go to the backside, which you had done, Mike, which takes you down more of the root tree uh, type of terrain back to Greenleaf, or if you go down... The opposite side, it's more, I don't know, bouldery, talus fields and stuff like that. It, a couple of neat vantages there. But overall, it was just a really nice hike. Um, a little bit damp, so it was a little sketchy. But uh, yeah, good time. How about you, Stosh? Any recent hikes? No, I have not been on any recent hikes lately in the past like week or two because last usually i have sundays and tuesdays off somewhat sundays i have a second job that i i participate in yeah um but sundays i have i have days off but i went to the uh place that we're gonna have the 100th episode broadcast live from okay and just checked out everything to make sure it was uh all okay and stuff like that so yeah yeah yeah. i i mean i went to the mountains i got to to see the beautiful mountains and the beautiful sunset and stuff but beautiful sunset with the horrible time change that we have but <laughs> oh, i hate it oh my god, god driving home at five o'clock and seeing the sunset it's just absolutely depressing yeah it really is it takes a, a little gusto to break the motivation like hurdle to go out and do something it's tough but all right yeah hey, it's all good nothing nothing too much lately but yeah so, um, uh, Mike actually went out to uh, Greylock, and uh, when he's ready, we'll talk about it. But Greylock is funny. I don't know if he made it to the legendary Hopper or not. I, we'll hear about that. But my dad has a very, uh, he passed away a couple years back, and he, he always talked about the Hopper at Greylock. And I've done the road. The road is amazing. And I've taken family up there, and uh, I have some family members that would have to get out of the car about a quarter mile before the summit of Greylock because they just got that vertigo sensation and had to walk Whoa, the rest that, of it. That's <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I literally just like scratched the surface and yeah. it was actually bittersweet going out there because I think I have some regrets. I mean, I spent, I, I lived out there for four years. I went to college in North Adams. Oh and, boy, isn't that funny? You know, I had a great time and I have some great memories, but I do... Knowing what I know now, I sort of, I, I certainly have a lot of regrets around the fact that I, and I spent a lot of time outdoors. You know, we went and we explored like the Hoosick Tunnel and we went and we went tubing down the Deerfield River and I went to the Natural Bridge and I did a lot of outdoor stuff, but 
I just really regret the idea that I was out there so close to such an amazing area for hiking and I didn't I didn't do as much as I probably should have but you know it's never too late to make things oh, up yeah, so I sure. was excited to go out there I was looking back I was trying to figure out when the last time I was out in North Adams so I think it's been about 25 years so I graduated wow. in 95 yeah, double wow yeah, wow. I graduated in 95. I think I went out there a couple times after I graduated, and that was about it. So um, I got up. It, it, it was the it was the day, it was an, the night of daylight saving, so I had an extra hour. So I usually get up at 4.30 anyway, but I got up at 4, and it already felt like 5 o'clock, so I, I was on the road by 4.15. I took the you know, took Route 2, uh, 495, took Route 2 all the way out. That's called the Mohawk Trail. Yeah, beautiful. And um, it's beautiful. It's an amazing ride. And when you get out to Greenfield, the section from Greenfield out to North Adams is just amazing. It's like got all these cool, it's very similar to Route 16, I feel like, or the in the Kangamangas in that area. So I had a great time. I stopped at the top of uh, the Mohawk Trail, got a few pictures of the there's this like elk that's on top of the the summit of the Mohawk Trail section before you go down into North Conway or North North Adams. And I took a picture there. The sun was coming up, which was great. And then I got I got down into North Adams. They have their own hairpin turn, much like we have our hairpin turn on the Kank in um in Lincoln. So I stopped there, took a couple of pictures, and then I went right to um i didn't go into north adams i went straight into williamstown so i hiked from the west side of the mountain which is i i went into hopper road stomp and then i entered the the way that you go is it's it's williamstown and um beautiful place yeah it's a beautiful place and i took a i I took the trailhead to the west of the mountain so it's hopper road to the Healy Healy Farm Trailhead, and then I did what's called the Five Summit Hike. So, at first, my original plan was I was going to do the Appalachian Trail from the north and just do an out and back. But I was like looking at it, and I said, I don't want to do an out and back because anytime you're going to do a new hike somewhere. You should always do a loop hike so that you don't go back the way you came because you're going to experience more of the area that way, right? Of course, yeah. Yeah, so I I looked at a couple of suggestions on Gaia, and they had this like five summit hike, and I was like, all right, this looks good. The mistake I made was I went counterclockwise. I should have gone clockwise, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But essentially what I did is I there's a trailhead parking at this farm, and it looks like a working farm. So I was sort of like, am I trespassing here? Am I even allowed to be on this thing? But you enter this farm and Damn you know cat. what it reminds me of is like the cat's out of control. Yes. I don't know what's going stuff. on. <laughs> Pardon me for a moment. Yeah. Keep on talking. I have my headphones on. Yeah. But for the listeners, it looks like it sort of feels like um, Ferncroft when, you, when you're hiking Whiteface past Conway. And, you know, so I made my way up. I did counterclockwise. So I did Healy Farm Trail to a section called Stony Ledge. When you get to Stony Ledge, there's a shelter there that has um, a kind of a cabinet that's fully stocked with firewood. So there must be volunteers that actually just like cut the firewood. And then it's a lean-to 
with a fire ring, it actually like immediately I was like, this is a perfect place to go winter hiking because they've got the the firewood there and they've got a fire ring it's a lean to and it's 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 um it's not open so it'd be an amazing place to do winter winter camping and then from stony ledge there's another outlook into like a a notch that you can start to see the summit of Greylock but it's pretty far away and you have to loop around so then from there it switches from trail to a, a a backcountry road, but there's no cars on the road. It's called Sperry Road. And what it is, is it's a road that connects from Stony Ledge to the main summit of Greylock. But you you walk about a mile and a half, two miles down this road, and it's all primitive campsites. So they've got like beer, beer boxes and then campsites. There's probably about 25 campsites there. And I walked through the campground because it was closed because it's the end of the season. But I'm assuming AT through hikers must stay there in the in the regular season. And from there, I reconnected with the Hopper Trail, which is along Rockwell Road, which is the road that comes in from the south southeast that parallels the Appalachian Trail to the summit. So that I made my way up the the Appalachian Trail to the summit. There was a few people up there. There was a race finishing. There was a race there, but no one was there. It was like they were setting up. And then from the summit, I ended up taking the Appalachian Trail northbound. And right below the summit, there's like a uh, a cabin. It's called Thunder Thunderbolt, I think, cabin. And there's there was a fire going on in there. So there was some hikers that were putting a fire in there for the runners who were going to come up for this race because it was pretty cold. And I guess apparently in the wintertime, it's like a backcountry skiing trip or trail. It's like the same version of our Sherburn Trail on Mount Washington. They have their Thunderbolt Trail or whatever it's called. And this this hut with the with the, the wood stove is where all the skiers hang out and have like their hot chocolate and warm up before they go ski down the mountain. And... um from there, like I said, I, I hung out there for a little while. Then I made my way on the Appalachian Trail northbound from the summit. And the the character of the mountain changed a little bit. It got super muddy, and it wasn't as nice. It was more like open woods, and I didn't like that section as much. Eventually, you connect with Williams Mountain, and then you cut back over the road and go to this section called Mount Prospect. And then from Mount Prospect... You go back down into Money and Hopper Brook, and that's where I realized, like I made, I did the, I made a mistake. Stop! I went the wrong direction because going down into Hopper Brook again was insanely like steep, and it was all leaves, and I kept falling because I couldn't see like rocks and roots and stuff like that. So I would have been way better off, I think, going up that section and then going down the way I had ascended because it was much more, it was easier open forest, but I I fell on my ass like five times. Like, (laughs) but I just was like, it is what it is. Yikes. Full fall day. Exactly. Mm. It was like the leaves, Stosh were like, they were like a foot deep in some sections. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad I choose, chose that route, and it was ultimately about 13 miles. I banged it out in about five hours, five and a half hours. So I was, you could move super fast, like way faster than the whites. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
there were some sections that were tough, but for the most part, like it's amazing area. Highly recommend people get out there. And I feel like I just scratched the surface because, I mean, there's trail systems from the south that I didn't hit, and there's trail systems from North Adams that I didn't hit. I do think coming from the north, that Appalachian Trail section from the north, I wasn't super impressed because that was kind of muddy, and I wouldn't recommend that. But like coming in from Williamstown was awesome. So I'd highly recommend that. We got to get out there, though, Stomp. So any uh, 411 on the hopper old growth trees? You know, I wasn't paying as much attention, Stomp, yeah, that's, that's uh, to okay. that. Uh, so I, did, I didn't really catch it one way or the other. Okay, that's cool. How about that uh, yeah, summit, so- though? <laughs> Summit's amazing. It looks yeah. like a giant, like, um, it's it's like a chess piece. True. Yeah. Yeah, like a pawn. It, yeah. And then it has, uh, I, the thing I kicked myself, I got up to the summit too early because it wasn't open, so I couldn't walk up the stairs. But, uh, Stosh, you know what they had, though, is they were like, there was a thing where you, they were pointing out all the mountains, and they had some, you could see out to the Catskills. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that, that place is the highest point in Massachusetts, correct? Correct, yeah. Yeah, so it looks over to Connix and it looks over the Catskills, and then you can see parts of the the uh, Adirondacks greens and then maybe parts of the whites, correct? Yeah, well, the, you could see, I don't know about the whites, but they, they had um, Monadnock. I could see Monadnock. Whites, isn't it? No, no, that's that's far right south, outside. So, um, but yeah, it was amazing, and uh, it was just it was really interesting. I got a little choked up when I got up to the summit, and I was looking down into the the North Conway Valley, and I was just sort of thinking about like you know, I spent four years, four formidable years of my life where I grew, I went from like a dumb kid to a, a dumb adult, you know, in that. <laughs> in that in that valley and it was just sort of it, it choked me up a little bit to think that it had been like 25 years or so since i had been here well let me know when you guys go there because i think that's the same exact distance for us yeah. to travel yeah that makes exactly sense. like it'd be a perfect meeting place so we'll have to think about that but i love the i did a little too. research on the history of mont Greylock, and i've got a little bit of a, a background here so the history in Greylock, so it's very similar to what happened in the Whites. It was the, sort of the same challenges that we were dealing with in the White Mountains, where the early there was some early trail systems that were completed, but there was heavy logging and development that went on in the mid like 1850s, and within about 20 30 years, the conservationists in the area had started to privately purchase. Most of the land around Greylock, so this this Greylock Park Association had developed, and their biggest focus was sort of an early development of the Notch Road, which is a road. There's a couple of different roads that go to the summit on Greylock, so you can actually drive up from the south and from the the like east in in North Adams. So they had focused on building out these these roads to the summit. Uh, and eventually, the the Greylock Park Association had also focused on reviving like three of the primary trails. So one of those trails was the Hopper Trail Stomp that you had talked about, and they had, um, I guess, eventually, you know, from the late 1800s to the early 1920s they had expanded these three main trail systems and built out um, a bunch of different large trail systems 
uh, from North Adams to the east, Pittsfield from the south, and Williamstown to the west. So uh, eventually, like they, they had the conservationists had taken over the entire area and had protected it. And then by 1921, Benton McKay, who was a Harvard-educated edu- conservationist from Connecticut, he was the first one to propose the idea of an Appalachian Trail to connect the highest points in the north, uh, which would be like Mount Washington and the White Mountains, to the highest points of the Appalachian Mountains in the south, which would be like Mount Mitchell in North Carolina. So he had written an article about this proposal, he hadn't even really thought about the idea of like being a continuous hiking trail. He had just sort of felt like there should be a network of areas where people could check out these high summits and navigate through. But some of the locals in the Mount Greylock area had read this article and they were some of the first people to take the idea of a continuous trail seriously. So They started proposing and building trails around 1926, and they had built out a couple of ideas on where to lay out the Appalachian Trail section in Massachusetts. The first proposal was actually having it go farther west, I think, on the Taconic uh, um, Range, but ultimately they settled on a trail that was south of Greylock, went more to the east in Dalton in that area. But by 1931, various organizations had actually started to work together, including the Williams Outing Club and the Berkshire chapter of the AMC. Now, there was a lot of tension that ended up happening here because a lot of members of the AMC were outsiders, and this developed into conflicts between the locals and the outsiders, which caused delays. But by 1935, they had actually completed the majority of the trail section of Massachusetts, uh, but unfortunately, as part of this adoption, apparently like the AMC guys were all like Boston educated people that came in to the Berkshires and they weren't well received by the locals. So there was a lot of tension that went on there. And even though they completed the sections for the AT by like 1935, there was these simmering conflicts and tensions between the locals and the outside trail builders. So... A lot of the people didn't adopt the trails or use them as much as they wanted to just because it, they looked at those trails as like the, you know, the rich outsiders and instead of sort of feeling like there was ownership locally. But over time, people have accepted it. But it's just kind of interesting that, you know, it parallels the stories of the whites with the conservation efforts after the logging operations and development sort of ravaged the area. And then, you know, this sort of conflict around outsiders and locals, we still see that today stop. So it's interesting. Yeah, that's right. So, but it's an interesting area. It's a fascinating place and it's an amazing place to hike. And I highly recommend, it. especially I didn't see anybody really. I saw, I ran into like, I ran into these two ladies that were taking a picture and they didn't, they didn't <laughs> notice me. And they were like talking and they were taking selfies and stuff. And then they saw me and screamed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and they were like, oh my God, you scared us. And I was like, well, I have that effect on the ladies. So uh, then they started laughing. And then I was like, let me take a picture of <laughs> That's you. That's too funny. So, <clears throat> Dude, how yeah. was uh, the Mohawk Trail? That is good a recovery. beautiful drive. Mohawk Trail was awesome. Oh, yeah. I had such a good, and it was like. So pretty. It, 
Yeah, because you go through, um, I think it's Charlemont is one of the towns there. Yeah. And then like the, you know, the hairpin turn. I went back into North <laughs> Adams afterwards and North, that was a little depressing because <sighs> I had, I went to my old college campus and it's all construction. So they're building a bunch of things over there. But I was expecting to see more energy. Like there was no students on campus. It was a Sunday. So I was expecting to see more people around, but no one was around. They must be all hung over or something. But, um, yeah, uh, North Adams still still feels a little run down. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, Going over to Jack's Hot Dog Stand and um, Village Pizza. So it was good to check out some of my old stomping grounds. Have you ever checked out uh, Mass Mocha? Mass Mocha. I have. Oh, you yeah, have? I think... That's a, well, I think the last time I went to North Adams in like the 90s, I went over there, but I didn't check it out this time around. But I've heard it's I, nice. Yeah. Jesus. I mean, it's yeah. it's something to check out. It's uh, basically a museum. It's the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art. Uh, I've been there once. That was many, many years ago. But uh, basically, they do they focus on um, presentations of visual arts, performing arts, and all kinds of educational programs. Uh, it's a great spot to check out if you're in this area and you're planning on doing this hike. Yeah, yeah. And I would, I I think between North Adams and Williamstown, like there's a ton of options for staying. I think this campground that I went on, on Sperry Road, I think it's worth checking out. I'll pull some of the, the reservation information, but I feel like if you're looking to do uh, a backpacking trip like this area, is amazing like there's a ton of options and there's like hundred miles and miles of trails that you can do and the views are amazing and you know it, it's it's different from the whites but it's also you know somewhat familiar so the trail systems have a they have a slightly different vibe but they're familiar enough where you'll say like okay i can i can handle anything in Greylock if i've been doing a lot of stuff in the whites cool Excellent. Um, all right. And then stop. I think next up we've got notable listeners of uh, notable listener hikes, right? Yeah, sure do. Yeah, we have a handful today. Let's see what we have. So if you want to tag us on your hike, just tag Slasher and we will consider you for Slasher's Hike of the Week. And no guarantees you'll be plugged on the show. Sometimes we get overwhelmed with tags, but... This week, we have a reasonable amount. So we have Dave, S's in the woods, you classic. North and South <laughs> Loon, mid-scar attempt, um, followed by a second attempt from the East Pond side. And that's the hike that uh, Mrs. Stomp and I did the other day. So couldn't do it from the Loon side, but made it up to scar, uh, middle scar from the East Pond side, which is... Livermore, uh, Tripoli Road. Jakester, Southern 20 of the New Hampshire AT. That's pretty cool. Pretty novel hike there, Jakester. D. DePiro, full Belknap 12 Traverse. That's pretty awesome. So all 12 peaks of the Belknap Range or Belknap Range, however you prefer. However you prefer. Yeah, yeah, we're not picky here. <laughs> <laughs> Nick hikes and plays guitar. Ephraim Hunt, ministerial land in Rehoboth, Massachusetts. That's pretty neat stuff. Nice tag there. Hiking feeds my soul. Miles the dog finished the bell naps on Mount Rowe for 12 out of 12. 
Congratulations, uh, hiking and miles. Ginger Beard Keen. Pierce Jackson Loop with Saco Lake Trail. I'm not familiar with that trail. Anybody here familiar with that one? No. I was looking at that too. I wasn't sure. Huh. Okay. okay. Hopefully that's not a typo. <laughs> and uh, Mark S. Uh, tackled the captain late season, of course, but uh, that's fantastic. And and made note that somebody has taken away the eye patches and the Captain Morgan bottle at the summit, oh, which is they. which is a bummer. They must have been uh, some leave no cool. leave no tracers. But uh, come on, people, give me a break. Uh, so next person up there, bring an eye patch and uh, a Captain Morgan <laughs> bottle if you can. Got to keep the traditions running. Jayco Run, Kearsage North, a trail run up to Kearsage North. That that's a nice trail, right, Mike? That that would be a really nice trail run. Yeah, that's beautiful up there. Yep. Brady Girl One uh, hiked Carrigan and Garfield and found a bunch of historic artifacts along the way. Thank you for tagging us. Michael York hiked Mount Zealand with veterans on the 48. We are trying to get them on. They're busy folks. They're always out hiking, <laughs> but they will be with us soon, hopefully. And then finally, L.A. or La Tupper. Uh, had a 48 finish on Mount Zealand and West Bond. Congratulations for finishing the 48 4,000 footers. And that is it. Nice. That is it. And that's a great way to finish yeah. doing the Zealands and West Bond. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, to me, West Bond is probably pinnacle, even over uh, Carrigane. West Bond is special. Yes. Yep. So we'll give it to you. Yeah. L.A. Tupper. Yeah, I would Hell say yeah. so. Yeah. Hell yeah. Agreed. Hell yeah. All right. It's time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. Very cool. Very cool. Right, so Stosh, you're the uh, the guest of the week for us here. So, um, are you excited? Not really. I'm always I'm always excited to uh, to not be the host. Actually, yeah. So let me ask you this: Do you have any like guests or topics that like you would say like stand out over the last hundred episodes that you've done? Oh, absolutely. So one of my <laughs> Yeah, I got. I got to bring this this forth. Me and my friend John. And my friend John always hikes with me. He well, he did the thirty five hundred with me. We'll chat about the thirty five hundred later. But yeah. um, we like to socialize together and especially drink together. So we drank a little bit before our episode, and we got a little tipsy before our episode. So no. that was one of my favorite episodes ever. And I think it was episode like 27 and it was absolutely insane. Uh, towards the end, it was, uh, <laughs> it was a little bit crazy. It got, it got crazy of where I do not remember anything. And my wife said, I was like walking down through the, the house and I'm like, I do not remember anything. Of oh, do you, um, <laughs> do you, so I haven't been really drunk and I, I would say, 
I was on a cruise with my brothers and, and the family and stuff probably about 10, 12 years ago where I feel like I probably get drunk that night. But the, do you, is it common for you to get like real drunk when you're with him? Drunk, yes. When you're on? With him? Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. With, with him, it was just, it was like, so John, I have taken on some insane bushwhacks. Like this guy was not ready for these bushwhacks. And I, I kind of regret taking them on because I've always thought like, halfway through man this guy's gonna need a rescue and you know <laughs> just him reciting like he's 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 part of my intro and he always says uh in the intro it says the bushwhacks were the worst of my my days of my mountains and possibly my my, my life really <laughs> so <laughs> um i've led him on but yeah that that's definitely one of the the funniest ones i've ever had one of the funnest um, I've had a couple, you know, actually ranger stories. A couple rangers have come on and actually talked about their their rescues on Blackhead Mountain, where one person unfortunately passed away, and they rescued the other person, which was absolutely an insane rescue. Um, I I wish I could go into crazy details about that, but that is a very very long story. Yep. Um, one of the coolest ones I've had is uh an episode about the bald eagle restoration project that we had here in New York state. So back in the 1980s, 1990s, we only had two to, to maybe three bald eagles here in New York state and to be have bald eagles, you know, the, the, the country's representative, you know, animal to have two of those in the state is actually like pretty crazy to think about. And these guys, actually did a huge restoration project to where now we have i believe it's over two three hundred eagles now uh 23 later 23 years later and uh just the fantastic story of him going up the guy his name was pete nye he was a a former of uh, like forest ranger slash like uh just an animal lover he would climb up to the top of trees and take out their their eggs because they knew they wouldn't forge and then put in fake eggs so they could actually take them uh, and, and make them real bald eagles instead of having them hatch and then, you know, die eventually. So fantastic stuff, you know, some stuff that I've never knew that happened in New York State. And it's it's been a, a crazy ride just hearing these stories. Yeah, the bounce backs on the eagles has been crazy because I remember growing up as a little kid, like that was such a big deal. Like you you there was like three things that you always could like deal with when you were a kid growing up in like the 70s and 80s and it was like the bald eagles there yeah. was um nuclear ball, nuclear war with the russians and quicksand and then there was like stop drop and roll like you always thought you were going to be on fire but like the you know yeah. the, you know the, the whole bald eagle thing was like such a big deal because i think that they all mostly went out because of the chemicals and ddt Yep. Uh, or D, whatever that chemical is for fertilizer, but they got rid of it. So they bounce back here in Massachusetts, and I know I see them up in Maine all the time too. So it's been it's been crazy to see their revival. Yeah, so that to me that was one of the most phenomenal episodes. Um, I believe that was episode fifty or sixty one, episode sixty one, and just hearing about you know when I was a kid and seeing this one like uh, eagle's nest only like 20 miles away from me but one of two or three in the state is absolutely insane and then right now you know i i live in the city of oneana city Let, let's just say that fourteen thousand people 
uh, not even a quarter of a mile from my, my house is a bald eagle's nest that I can walk down to and watch the eagles just fly into and fly out of. And, you know, the other day, you know, two, three days ago, I had two bald eagles fly up and perch into one, one of my pine trees right on the side of the back. And it was just, I grabbed my little corgi dog and ran inside because I was just like, man, this could get pretty scary. Yeah, that is scary. And I was just looking as you're talking, this there was 426 known active breeding pairs in New York in 2017. So they probably only grown from there. Yeah, exactly. And the the story of just you know, the restoration, the you know, the the effort they took in building that that bald eagle population, you know, you see those those pictures of bald eagles in Alaska where there's like, you know, 20, 30 perched on a tree. And then here, like I said, there was two nests up in Rochester and then one down here. And to get that going from uh, God, when I was a kid, you know, in the 1990s, you know, Mike, you said eighties and nineties, you know, going to see bald eagles is like, you know, like going to see the foliage. You're just like, Oh my God, there's a bald eagle over there. You run over there and you take pictures. But I mean, we didn't have those cameras, but, um, that was just a phenomenal moment. And to hear his way that he did it in the nineties and stuff like that, to restore these bald eagles to the population we have now was, was just one of my favorite episodes. Heartwarming, very, very heartwarming. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll put that, I'll pull that up and put that in the show notes so people can check it out. Um, and then just moving on to, I guess your recent experience. So we talked. You talked a little bit about how it's. You, know, you haven't gotten out and hiked recently, but you did get out to the whites. Like, have you been out? You've been up up to New Hampshire a couple times since we talked to you. I thought, or maybe at least once. You did a, a Pemi loop, right? Yeah. Before before that, we did a a, a couple hikes up there. We did uh, Mount Card or Cardigan Mountain down in the Southern Whites uh, outside of the White Mountain, uh, but it was absolutely stunning. But recently. I think it was June. I went up with another summit, uh, which is a nonprofit organization uh, that leads hikes for and free events for guardians, which basically is uh, like military personnel, first responders, stuff like that. Um, my wife is very, very uh, like just skeptical of me going by myself. So this was a perfect opportunity to get out there and to get with other people, especially with first responders, you know, military people. She's like, okay, you're fine. You're fine. You'll survive. Um, and that was an absolutely crazy experience. Let me just say, because it was, uh, uh, it was, it was fun. Let me just say it was fun. Do you remember where you started? We started at Lincoln Woods trailhead. Okay. And we we started going. I would say north, right north. You're going towards the bonds. All right. So you you went to the bonds first. Yep, we went All up. Right, so to that's the bonds mistake first. number one. You went the wrong direction, but yeah. that's okay. <laughs> Counterclockwise. I, I don't know. I would rather I would rather walk that three miles in than take that long three to four miles walk out on the way out. That would have been treacherous. True. True. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. It's a pick them, honestly. Like, I'm just joking with you a little bit. Like, you can go either direction. I think, Stomp, you prefer to start at the bonds and go the other way, to go that way, right? No, no, no. Definitely clockwise. <laughs> you do wow. All right, so you like Osseo and going up Flume. Yeah, I like to get the hard stuff over with initially. And then from there, in my mind, it's it's the two miles of Twin Way, easy peasy, Boncliffe, easy peasy, 
and then five miles out, easy peasy. You got to get that hard stuff over with first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but honestly, I mean, it's you can go either way. So you you went up to the bonds, and then do where did you? So what did you do for the first day? You, did you where did you camp? So we camped at the Guillot, uh shelter. Okay, and right. you know. On the way there, I think we, how many, you had three stream crossings you have to do sort of uh, on the way there, right? Yes. Towards the bonds? Right. Yeah. So towards the second one, we started to have some rain and it was, uh, it was, wasn't that bad, but we, we felt like we had to put on our rain gear and get prepared, of course, cover up the packs, you know, cover up ourselves. As soon as we started uh, ascending up towards, I believe it's West Bond, correct? Uh, Bond Cliff. Bond, Bond Cliff. Cliff. Yep. yep. Bond Cliff. That's the first it's, summit. Yep. Yep. It started raining pretty, pretty nicely, like constant rain. Yeah. And it, then it just kept, it kept going and going and, that's, and did not stop. That's exposed for the entire stretch from Bond Cliff over to West Bond and to the campsite. Yep. And uh, that's basically, you know, heavy showers and then it would stop for maybe a couple minutes and then it would be heavy showers again and maybe stop a couple of minutes. So what I thought would be a great time of talking with people, nobody talked at all. Everybody was just to themselves and let's get this over with. So when we got to that junction of the guillot and uh, uh, what's that other West, West Bond. Bond, right? Yeah. West Bond. So we were all like, we all looked at each other and we're all like, "Hey, should we sub at West Bond? We're absolutely, we're like, absolutely not. Uh, we are in for the night. We are absolutely done. We're all soaked. We're all, you know, dead. No, I don't think anybody had the thought of going up to West Bond. We were just yeah. like, let's go down to the shelter. We went down to the shelter. We talked with the the lady that was awesome, and she's like, "Yeah, we we have like no room left in the shelter. Oh, but we we have tent sites. Oh my God. Yeah." Yikes. So we we got lucky with that. So uh, one of the guys we had, I'm pretty sure there was like 11 people in our group. Um, once again, all mili- mostly military and first responders. And I'm the, the SAR guy that's sitting off to the side that's not done the crazy stuff that they have done. So I'm I'm not saying I'm bitching and complaining, but I'm bitching and complaining that this is like not the fun experience that I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and mm-hmm. these guys have treached through the insane of the worst. So I'm just like utmost respect for them, but we set up our tents and everything in the pouring rain. And uh, luckily I have my friend Henry who has been on the the podcast before, who's done the triple crown stuff like that. He is uh, one of the associates of uh, another summit and he's fantastic. Helps me set up my tent. And the funny thing is, is he like sets it up. He's like, wow, this is amazing tent. He's like, what is this? a, A big Agnes or something like that. I'm like, uh, go around to the other side, check out what it is. And the funny thing is I crossed off Coleman and I put big Agnes. <laughs> oh, it was a, it was a, oh a one person Coleman tent from Walmart that I have weatherproofed and it was $10 and it was 2.4 oh, wow. pounds. Wow. How, how did it hold up with the water, with the, uh, the weatherproofing? Absolutely fantastic. I really, couldn't have been more like like oh my god like this is absolutely insane that i paid ten dollars to this compared to you know 250 300 for another tent that absolutely did phenomenal 
in in the weather. It was just it was it wasn't pouring rain, but it was a constant crappy rain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you so you got you just basically just hit your tent and went to sleep. I'm assuming in that weather. I mean, that's all you can really do, right? Yeah, we made dinner, and uh, they had right right below the the shelter, uh, the lean to kind of uh, area. They had like a like a just prop set up to where you can make your your food under the rain. And yes. we we all seriously just sat there and looked at each other and we're like, man, this sucks. This sucks really bad. <laughs> you, you yeah. Well, this that was the story ever. of like the the whole summer of the White Mountains, right? Yeah, Basically, exactly. like every weekend was like that. Yeah, and. We just, I, I, I went underneath, to be honest, I had a, the tent spot that I have, I went underneath and I hung all my wet clothes up, uh, like just clipped it and tried to find a spot to let it dry and stuff like that. Um, and then got in my tent and tried to sleep. I, I couldn't sleep worth crap. It was just one of those nights of where I couldn't sleep. So did you cry? Uh, like, so, and then did you guys keep going for uh, day two? <laughs> oh, of course, of course. Absolutely. So day two I woke up, I think I was the, like the first or second that woke up and I went down and I, I had to, sorry to say, I had to take crap. But when I walked over, beautiful, kind of beautiful sunrise. I was just like, oh, today looks like a nice day. If you've ever been down to the Guillot shelter, that has a beautiful uh, outhouse that just looks over kind of like a, a nice spot. And I was like, today's going to be good. Cool. We all have our like uh, our breakfast, stuff like that, break down our tents. Everything's absolutely soaked. Everything's still soaked. Put on some fresh socks. We start going up. We we talk at the junction, and then it starts raining again. Ugh. It just starts coming down. It, it isn't like little drops. It's just constant rain. And one of the concerns we had is with going over the Garfield Ridge uh, with thunderstorms possibly coming in. And that was the concern of uh, Stomp. I think you know him, Mark. Uh, yes. And Henry had concern. Mark is, is a beast, by the he way. Is, yeah. Tell him. He knows all things. I really don't like him. I don't like him. <laughs> he, Ooh, Mark? He's, he's a beast. He's Yeah, he just looks at me and just like, <laughs> stop stop being a wuss. Do this now. Ray, and, he, uh, he can do that. He He's deserved that honor of being able to do that to people <laughs> he's he's got i gotta admit he's got that he's got that stamina and that honor to be an awesome human to push you to your next limit and he exactly did. he helped me a lot exactly he, well said so yeah so we 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 go over and up and down and over the garfield ridge we go up to um i believe it was galehead right uh with the the old former fire tower <clears throat> former fire Gilhead has a hut on it a hut yeah is it is it a former hut it's a well, hut there's a the AMC hut is there and then there's no fire tower it's just like a summit that's um, on, right up right on Gilhead right itself above the, uh, the AMC hut hmm. maybe you're talking about the twins South Twin may I, have had a tower on it but I'm, I'm not really sure oh, on yeah. that Galehead is actually okay. recessed into the valley oh. where uh, into the Pemi itself. It's lower than Twin and uh, Garfield, so maybe there was a tower. I mean, listeners can let us know on that one on Twin. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm probably 100 percent wrong on this. Uh, I think I'm talking about Garfield. Um, oh, we hit the hut for sure. Yeah, so we hit the hut, 
and we kind of stop. We have our, our little moment, get some water, get some food. And the, the rain stops. We all are like feeling good. The whole freaking place is full of steam because everybody's wet. It was nasty. It was horrible. We have like our t-shirts on. We're ready to go. We all get packed up and we're just like, let's go start walking. Starts raining again. It seriously is like, like getting on us. Like, it's just like, Hey, you guys are going to hike again. Screw you. We're going to rain. <laughs> so once again, we start going up and over, we hit, uh, uh, hit Garfield that has a former fire tower or something like that. Right. Correct. Something, a structure. There's up a top, foundation right? there for Correct. sure. Yeah. So that place we get kind of the first view somewhat. We didn't get a view anywhere else. And uh, I get a little view of the slides and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. Uh, Mark took a picture, a funny picture of me looking at him, and I'm I'm kind of disgusted, and I I almost look like I'm going to flip him off. And <laughs> it was it was really it was really good. I was just like whatever. So that at that point we're we're like oh crap, you know we have oh so much time to go over to Lafayette with the thunderstorms approaching. So we got to get moving. And uh, I took a fantastic picture. I don't know if you guys saw it of uh, them coming down Garfield, kind of like the Garfield Ridge. And we are just full in full out rain gear, full out getting ready, bracing ourselves for whatever is to come. Yes. And it's, it was, it was not that bad. You know, we, we hit some pretty hard rain. We start going, one part up we, we were going up Garfield was actually pretty intense because it was super steep and it was kind of like a waterfall at the time. And that's the only other time that we've kind of hit people. And before we hit that kind of waterfall, they're like, have fun going up the waterfall. And we're like, oh, yeah. what are you talking about? Me and Stomp have done that. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> it was, it was intense. And just like, you know, everybody was, you know, trying to, talk to each other make sure you know we, we had each other's back and stuff like that um but just going up that one part was just like well i'm we're wet now who gives really gives a crap if we're wet again who cares so that was that was interesting and uh so we start going up lafayette with the puds and uh the puds and you know everybody's kind of like getting sick and tired of this crap we're just like man and you have those, what is it, three fall summits, I'm guessing, two or three? Oh, for sure. Leading up to uh, Lafayette? Yeah. Oh, no question. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that started to break out and like you could start to see people ahead of you. Um, Mark was kind of cruising along to, to, to get ahead and stuff like that. So it started to break out. Once we got up to Lafayette, the clouds started to diminish. And, you know, we started to get views off towards the, like, uh, the Northeast and stuff like that. And uh, we were kind of feeling hopeful. Went down into the uh, uh, the Greenleaf Hut, which was very, very welcoming. Oh, my God, that was absolutely phenomenal. I but uh, imagine. <laughs> in, I, I couldn't, a thousand feet in one mile uh, when you're at the end of the day, full soaked rain. It's just brutal as heck, and you know. Were you staying at the hut? We did. We actually. All right. Well, that's good. One hundred percent good, but somewhat, somewhat good. You know, it was like going down. It's it's taking. I have socks and stuff like that, but I'm starting to get blisters. 
like these blisters are starting to form like really bad. Uh, we get at the hut, we have something to eat. You know, the freaking crew is absolutely fantastic. I've never had that, that sort of experience in my life. And I, I suggest anybody in New Hampshire to go up and experience the crew at least once in their life, because it was absolutely phenomenal. And it put a huge smile on my face that I did not have a smile. <laughs> I was just like, screw this. You know, to be honest, we went and hung our backpacks up and every one of our backpacks was like leaking water oh, without man. It's, the, it's like a hundred pounds, right? <laughs> oh, way over that too. To be honest, stomp. I'm like you, man. My pack was 39 pounds at the beginning. Wow. Sounds like a great time. <laughs> <laughs> Not it. The good thing is it wasn't, wasn't done at that time. So of course everything's leaking. We have a great, uh, meal good to have a great time bonding well, my takes. my chest strap broke on my osprey so we tried to fix that that was fun because you know of course you don't have your chest strap strap it doesn't balance so then you're getting pulled back by the weight of your backpack and uh we tried to fix that no no fixing so um we also tried to heal my my good old blisters that are forming on my feet didn't really happen and then i try to go to sleep and you know there's you know 30 40 people in there snoring at the same time and <laughs> that's a good way to um, describe it uh, oh man i had my earbuds in and i i tried it you know i hear i have that ambient noise maybe like fans or air conditioning or stuff like that could not get over it oh that's it's hilarious seriously, like, <laughs> horrible dude you you have a hard time sleeping backpacking huh I, you know, usually I, I don't, I don't have a bad time, but I think it was just being uncomfortable of being wet. And, you know, I had warm clothes for the green leaf, but the other clothes, the other time, you know, I was just like, I got to spare these for the next, you know, 10 miles or so like that. Right. Um, and just, you know, it was, it was tough sleeping, but, you know, I had, I had my Nemo, you know, 15 to 30 degree, uh, bag you know my sleeping bag was fantastic my sleeping pack my nemo sleeping pad my pad was awesome but i just i just could not get comfortable especially with like you know you're in the the hut and there's what one two three four five other people with you in there that are snoring and i guarantee i'm snoring too and i'm bothering them as well (laughs) so true and true so you guys on uh, did you did you end up doing the full loop you went back you, you the day three you just headed out of Greenleaf and made it back to lincoln woods hell yeah so day three was absolute phenomenal day clear blue skies uh i think we started off at like maybe 8 a.m and we you know that treacherous climb up you know going lafayette you know Keep going up, but you get beautiful, phenomenal views, 360-degree views that I just was absolutely blown away by. You know, I've I've been above treeline before, you know, Canadian Rockies, stuff like that. But this was absolutely uh, stunning. And But the funny thing is, going down uh, to what, uh, like, what is it, West Lafayette, or what was the other? Lincoln. This Lincoln, Lincoln and then Little Little Haystack. Lincoln Little Haystack, uh, it started to get really, really crowded. Like I was absolutely no. blown away. <laughs> yeah, I, that area does <laughs> tend to get crowded. But once you get past Little Haystack, though, and you head to 
Liberty and Flume, it's you know, all the crowds disappear. Yeah, I we hit Liberty. Liberty was absolutely packed, and so was Flume. Like it was a, a crazy day, and you know, to the point of where I'm I'm not familiar with the whites, but I was yelling at people to get off of the, you know, stay on the trail and get off of the protected areas. Like, yeah, I was yelling at people, and I was just like, man, that was just like, come on. But right after Flume, we hit down and we saw, you know, went down the ladders, which was absolutely phenomenal. My blisters are getting out of control. I'm in pain. I want to get freaking out of this crap because, you know, so much water is in my boots and my socks, stuff like that. I have four pairs of socks with me to change, um, but blisters are still forming like crazy. From Flume all the way down to Lincoln Woods, we probably hit two people. Uh, it was absolutely insane. And it was very, very awesome. I love that descent going down the ladders. And then it's just a constant, nice coast all the way down to Lincoln Woods. And down at the Lincoln Woods, when we met the Charles Jackson, I passed out. I seriously passed out for like five to seven minutes. And I just laid there and just passed out. It was, somebody thought I was dead. <laughs> well, congratulations. The Pemi Loop is a good uh, achievement. Pop to definitely knock off and it'll it'll give you some serious respect for the whites right it it does i gotta admit it's uh it was fun the the rain didn't help that much i gotta admit but uh i gotta admit it i would have loved for those first two days to be absolute clear and to see everything that the whites have to offer yeah, I mean, this summer's just been brutal. So it is, I mean, it is what it is at this point. Yeah. But it is, it, and being local, like we do kind of have the luxury to just sort of pick our days. Uh, when I did, last time I did the Pemi Loop, I think last summer, like I, I locked out where I had generally good weather for most of it. So we didn't get a lot of views on Franconia Ridge, but, you know, by the time we got over to Garfield, it was good views. But me and Stomp have done that waterfall hike. Um, and it's it's tough. I couldn't imagine doing it in the rain. It was, you know, to be honest, you guys, uh, you have limestone up there, so it's pretty grippy. Uh, we don't have that down here in the Catskills, so it's it's very, very slippery. You got to be very precautious and stuff like that. So going up, it wasn't that bad, but like looking at it from down below, we were like, what the hell is this crap? Like, is this the trail? Is this not the trail? And and it was, it was really cool. It was really fun to get splashed on by water on your second day of three-day hike <laughs> yeah exactly well we're running up on time here so um stosh so i guess one other question we wanted to wrap up with you on is uh the difference between the four thousand foot club finishers and the 3500 club finishers um can you talk about like the volume difference there like i don't even know how many people have finished the four thousand footers i think it's like 17 or eighteen thousand. like how many people have done the 3500 footer club so uh, only a little over 4K have done the 3500 Club. But like okay. you said, 17,000 people have completed the, the 4Ks. All right. So the Catskills have the 3500 Club. We've got the 4,000 Footer Club. So um, do you think that more people have done it, or is it just not? The, the peak bagging stuff isn't as popular in the Catskills. You know, I have a feeling that because you guys have open summits, uh, the views and stuff like that, uh, it definitely – nails it uh i gotta admit open summits are absolutely phenomenal um but you know we have very technical places here in the catskills as well people hike you know uh, what is it the the northeast 111 now Mm -hmm. so they have to hike two catskill hikes which is slide and and hunter 
here in the Catskills, which is absolutely nothing. It's it's nowhere near to what the other parts of the Catskills have to offer. But you know, being the the amount of people we have, New York City, right here, two and a half hours away, and everybody goes up to the Adirondacks or the Whites, and you know, we have the beautiful Catskills, which mostly have not open summits, but we have viewpoints uh, all over the place uh, on your way up, and we have technical spots, you know, scrambling. Uh, crazy rock climbing stuff like that in here as well as you know the whites does as well yeah i gotta get down there and check it out but i do think that like the the monk Raylock idea is a good one too if we ever get out there we'll give you a heads up and we can meet up halfway absolutely i would love that it'd be fun slashers hiking topic of the week All right, Stomp. So uh, we want to get into um, what's in Mrs. Stomp's pack here and talk about the East Pond <laughs> hike that you did. But before we do that, I just want to give you breaking news. Sure. Uh, Bear Notch Road and Hurricane Mountain Road are closed. Okay. Is that up to date? That's as of as of today. Okay. I was curious then, about that. Um, yeah, this is Trails New Hampshire just posted... Uh, on their Instagram page a little while ago. And then what they said is they said, assume that Zeeland Road, Long Pond Road, and Tripoli are probably coming up pretty soon too. I would think so. Once the snow lands on these roads, they don't maintain them. They're not plowing. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Wow. So Bear Notch and Hurricane are done. Done. It's going to change quick, people, for sure, especially after this weekend coming up with the uh, the cold weather and the snow coming. Uh, It's wild. But yeah, this is fun. So, right. so Mrs. Stomp is in Florida for my birthday, so that gets a shame drop. And uh, <laughs> she gets a second shame drop because she was woefully shame. unprepared for the hike that we did this last weekend. And uh, she gave shame. us, the podcast, shame. permission to roast her, which is really cool, shame. and to look at what she brought for a 30 shame. to 40 degree temperature hike. Uh, in the higher altitudes. And uh, basically what we do is we tackled the East Pond uh, Loop, which is, it's a 4.8 mile loop off of Triple I Road. And um, East Pond itself is 2,600 feet. Little East is 2,596 feet. And this uh, loop is just south of Scar Ridge, which on the north side of Scar Ridge is Loon Mountain. So that's sort of the geography of what we're doing. So Oh, okay. So this is, I'm just looking at the map right here. So this is the the trailhead that's like right before Greeley Pond trailhead in, off of the Kank. Yes. So you park like a little bit of ways. And all right, so then this connects you back over to the, uh, um, like Mount Tecumseh and the Mount Osceola trailhead yeah. and all that stuff. Correct. So, okay. I mean, essentially we, we left from, from home. We went Waterville into Triple I Road, and that's a harder approach to this trailhead. If you're approaching it from 93 in, it's much easier. It's it's paved and you know asphalt. Um, so we get to the trailhead. It's midday. No, we know the sun's going down, and uh, we weren't dealing with high temps to begin with. I had my um, summer pack, but it was packed with my Gore-Tex Patagonia, my Down. Uh, a fleece middle layer and, you know, bivvies and headlamps. I had the whole thing. Mrs. Stomp packs her little teeny North Face pack, which weighed maybe, I don't know, 
<laughs> there couldn't have been much in it. So she was kind enough to give us a list of what she had in her pack for this hike. And I have to tell you, she was complaining about cold the whole time. So we decided to do this loop from the trailhead clockwise, which brings you up to Little East Pond first and then over uh, the shoulders of Scar Ridge over to East Pond itself and then back down. The hike itself is, is considered easy, but the only part I would actually modify that to moderate difficult would be the descent from East Pond down because it's a mud fest for whatever reason. It's just getting a lot of drainage water seeping into the trail. I think it needs some maintenance or whatever. So Mrs. Stomp was cold and uh, complaining a little bit, um, but she made it through and uh, let's see what we have here. So, But Stomp, I will say, I'm just looking at the elevation gain here. Yeah. So it looks from like mile one to mile two, you go from... Um, well, mile one to two is where the it looks like the elevation gain is. Yes, correct. Yep, here. and that leads you yeah. up to Little East Pond, and then from there it's a couple puds, purposeless ups and downs over to East Pond itself. I mean, it's worth it. We do this once a year, and it's absolutely beautiful. It's, it's we were a little late for it this year. We try to get to the peak of foliage, and. Um, it's awesome. Highly recommended, but uh, definitely be prepared, unlike Mrs. Snop. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have the 10 essentials list here. Um, I'm going to uh, let you guys handle the 10 essentials list, and I'm going to t- read off what she had in her pack. Does that sound good? Sounds good. All right. Sounds fantastic. So this is what is inside Mrs. Stomp's pack. First, we had a big metal black container of water. And uh, she makes a little note here. It's in the cabinet. I forgot how many ounces it is. So I think it's basically a uh, a liter looking at it. So she had a liter of water. That's one of the tens, right? Correct. Yep. All right. She had next a sweatshirt. <laughs> oh, my God. Parentheses. What, what type of sweatshirt? Yeah, well, I'm getting to that. So parentheses, cotton. <laughs> nice. Cotton kills, ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, yeah. Especially in 30-degree uh, weather. Okay, next, toilet paper. Eh, is that, a, is that a 10 essential? No? Yeah? That is, well, I mean, it's you can use it to start fire, so that's good. <laughs> All right. Well, that assumes you have uh, something to start the fire with, which she doesn't in this list. Okay, <laughs> okay next, uh, a leave. Hmm. Um, I mean, that's technically like a first aid kit. So yeah, that's part of it. <laughs> <Okay. Lotion. laughs> All right. Now here comes, nice. here comes the food. Now this is the food, uh, that is to sustain you for a cold wintry hike. Ready? Here it is. Buffalo flavored chickpeas. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big fan of buffalo flavored stuff. Oh, but that's it. I will not eat chickpea. That's it. I highly doubt that has the calorie amount that you burned off, though. Yeah. True. Yeah. So that's it, guys. That's all that's in her pack for food. Buffalo flavored chickpeas. So she's got, technically, she's got hydration. She's got nutrition. (laughs) She's got no navigation. She's got no emergency shelter. I'm not going to give her credit for layers with a a cotton sweatshirt. Um, How about the- No illumination. No fire starter. Yeah. No, yeah, no navigation whatsoever. She did have sunglasses, though, so she wouldn't be uh, snow blind. 
Okay. Well, that's good. No <laughs> repair go. kit. And she had sun protection, so she's okay. Honestly, though, Mrs. Stomp, like, I would say if you're listening to this, Mrs. Stomp, like, what do you care? Like, you've got a husband that has, like, a know, right? a 40-pound backpack with everything in it that could I save know. you. So you don't need to bring anything. I know. We're, you just need to make sure your makeup is tight and that you're, you know, you have a good time. Well, yeah, yeah. She, she prefaced this by saying, you can totally roast me, LOL. I guess I just thought that's all I needed. Last time we hiked, it was 70s out, and I sort of forgot that it would be a lot colder. L-M-A-O. And you're right. I, I mean, we're just busting her for this, but it is funny because I, I did have everything that we would need to, to be all right for a while, but it's just funny. If you were solo, yeah. that would be insufficient for sure. I mean, you're talking Correct. no headlamps, nothing. <laughs> Yeah, but this looks like a cool little hike stomp, though. Like, oh, this sure. is a good four and a half mile hike. Yeah. It looks like you got a couple of different, like, ponds that you hit. And mm-hmm. how are the views on the hike? It's, it's strictly uh, views of bodies of water and mountains that All surround right. the water. They were, but they're stunning. Okay. Absolutely yeah, stunning. I bet. Oh, yeah. Open woods. And if you dig into the link here for the New Hampshire Family Hikes page for the East Pond Loop, it does mention the fact that um, there are a whole bunch of uh, historic logging camps around the area. And I posted a picture of me holding up a, a sort of rotten metal barrel or bucket that I found literally just 30 feet off the trail. And I saw it, boom, I saw it, walked down, picked it up, just take a look at it, but put it back, of course. Uh, but there are the, uh, the, the depressions, the basement depressions. They're all over the place. It's incredible. It was definitely a big um, area for the logging time. Yeah, I bet. Have you ever been to this Peggy's Perch? Do you know what that is? Not sure. Not, not yeah, I'm seeing that on my map here. So, um, all right. Well, huh. Stomp, I think that this was a good good thing here. I don't think I don't think Mrs. Stomp did that bad at all. I think that she's she knows what's going on. So she's she's okay. She had everything she needed. <laughs> she had her guardian angel next to her. So <laughs> true, true. Yeah. Good so, stuff. All right. All right. So we learned about like the. So let's just recap before we wrap up for the night here. So we. Um, we talked about the Reckless Rescue 5K that's coming up on Saturday. Mm-hmm. We talked about um, Stosh's 100th episode and his his fun but also difficult Pemi loop. We talked about Montgreylock, talked about the Watcher and Eaglet. So we covered a lot of topics here tonight. Yeah, and it's Khan, not Kahan. Yes, it's Khan. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh... I'm about to crack open my second Greylock so I can start editing. Hopefully, I'll make it through. <laughs> All right. Well, we will, uh, if you're coming on Saturday, we'll see you on Saturday. And Stosh, thanks again for joining us. And good luck with your 100th episode. And I'm sure we'll have you back soon. I, I sure hope so. Uh, thank you for having me. I don't know why you have me on these podcasts. Oh, you're humble. You're humble. No, we love you. And uh, best of luck and uh, a great. Uh, another hundred. Let's make it to five hundred. We'll have you back for five hundred. How's that sound? <laughs> That's good. And remember, folks, don't feed the elk because they could gore you. That's correct. Right. That's right. One hundred percent correct. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know Lieutenant James Nealon, New Hampshire Fishing Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. And I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all. 